Are you trying to squeeze the starting solid food stuff into your already busy schedule? Well, I have an all-in-one done-for-you solution that's going to take the guesswork out of feeding your baby. My online program is called Baby Led Weaning with Katie Ferraro. It contains all of my baby led weaning training videos, the original 100 First Foods content library, plus a 100-day meal plan with recipes like the exact sequence of which foods to feed in which order. So if you want to stop trying to piece all this feeding stuff together on your own, I would be honored if you would join me inside of the program. You can get signed up at babyledweaning.co slash program. Checking in about food allergies and introducing allergenic foods. And have you done peanut with your baby yet? Well, intact nuts and thick globs of nut butters like peanut butter are choking hazards for babies, but we want to get that peanut protein into your baby early and often in order to help lower the risk of peanut allergy down the road. My absolute favorite way to introduce peanuts for babies is using the Puffworks Baby Peanut Puffs. So When you hear puffs, like you're probably like, oh, those starchy little puff things. Like, no, no, no. Not the little ones that earlier eaters can't pick up. Those kind of crappy puffs from the store that have added sugar and refined grains and lots of salt. Uh uh. The Puffworks baby peanut puffs have no added sugar. They have just a smidge of sodium for preservatives, and they are the perfect size for baby led weaning. They're about the size of your adult pinky finger. So, you can, baby can pick them up, self-feed them, but they're so soft that they dissolve in your baby's mouth so you can introduce these peanut puffs even before your baby has teeth. Puffworks also makes a baby almond puff for the safe introduction of a separate allergenic food category. That's tree nuts. And now, finally, Puffworks put out a combo case. So it's half baby peanut and half baby almond. So if you want to grab one case, then you can knock out two new allergenic foods. We do these on different days, though. These are just the no-stress, low-mess way to get peanut and tree nut out of the way. So you can get 15% off everything at puffworks.com when you use the affiliate discount code BLWPOD. That's a new code. It's BLWPOD. Use that sucker at checkout at puffworks.com and get peanut and tree nut safely out of the way. For a lot of moms, it's just tweaking their diet. Do they really need the hundreds of dollars of supplements a month? No, a lot of times it's just different foods they need to eat and that can actually make up for whatever is potentially lacking. And sometimes there's nothing lacking, right? Hey there, I'm Katie Ferraro, registered dietitian, college nutrition professor, and mom of seven specializing in baby led weaning. Here on the Baby Led Weaning Made Easy podcast, I help you strip out all of the noise and nonsense about feeding leaving you with the confidence and knowledge you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods using baby-led weaning. Hey guys, welcome back. And today we're talking about breast milk, but this is a different type of breastfeeding episode than you might have been expecting. We're going to be talking about the quality of your breast milk and testing your breast milk. My guest today is Stephanie Canale. She's a medical doctor and the founder of Lactation Lab. Now, Lactation Lab analyzes breast milk for its nutrition content and then provides dietary recommendations that allow moms to make the decisions for their bodies and their babies. I have to be fully honest with you guys. The first time I heard about the concept of breast milk testing, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so bogus. Like, I'm sure you just send a sample of your breast milk in and they send you back this whole panel of supplements that you need to take and convince you that your breast milk is inadequate to feed your baby. First of all, I was way off base because Dr. Canale works with registered dietitians. Yes, she tests your breast milk and her team and the technology that she created does. And oftentimes they'll find some imbalances in the nutrient quality of the breast milk, some changes that can be made in mom's diet, but she does not promote or sell supplements. So if you guys know me, I always have other credentialed feeding or professional experts on the podcast 
do a lot of research about this one because this is certainly an emerging area in breastfeeding nutrition and breastfeeding as a field. But Dr. Canale, again, just blew me away. So she is a medical doctor. She got her undergraduate and medical degrees from McGill University, completed her residency training in family medicine at UCLA. She was part of the teaching faculty at UCLA for a while. She no longer teaches there, but again, her research is based out of there. She's a member of the American Family of Board Medicine, and she's here today to chat with us in an episode that's called Breast Milk Testing, Why Measure the Quality of Your Breast Milk? And I want to say thank you to Alina Facina. Elena is a mom who's also a dietitian. She's breastfeeding, and she's the one that told me to check out Dr. Canali and to get her on the podcast. If you guys have a good idea for a podcast episode, I find my best ideas from you. If you could leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, I scan and read every single one of the reviews. Drop your episode idea in that review, and hopefully we can interview the person that you're interested in talking to. So Elena, thank you so much for putting us in touch with Dr. Canali. I'm going to let her tell her story. If you guys are even remotely interested in breastfeeding and personalized nutrition, I think you're really, really going to enjoy this episode. Again, it's Breast Milk Testing, Why Measure the Quality of Your Breast Milk with Lactation Labs, Stephanie Canali. Oh, it's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Before we dive into breast milk testing, can you tell me a little bit about your background and how you got into medicine and then how you came to specialize in this like very niche area of maternal health? Well, I never thought I would be here. That's number one. So I'm a family medicine. uh, It was my specialty. So I went to medical school in Canada from Montreal, came to UCLA where I did my residency and I stayed on faculty for about 15 years. I'm a mother of two and I struggled so much with breastfeeding. So my patients struggled quite a bit. My practice really became geared about 50% pediatrics, mostly a lot of newborns. And it was through that my own personal struggle and watching my patients struggle that I was like, oh my gosh, what is going on here? We need to take the guesswork out of breastfeeding. And that was how Lactation Lab was born. So tell me a little bit about what Lactation Lab does. So we're a breast milk testing company to really take the guesswork out of this and to figure out what is in your milk and how your diet affects your milk. How this came about was I wanted to breastfeed. I wanted to be that mom that was like sort of the perfect mom, you know. This is before Instagram, but you know, the mom that just had baby latch, no issues, enjoyed it. And I failed miserably with my son. And then when I had my daughter, I had so much pressure that I put on myself to do that. Now she was failure to thrive. So she was falling off the growth chart, uniquely breastfed. And she started to have these issues where she'd have a bowel movement every 12 days. She's losing weight. And it really, I mean, the only factor here was me. And I had no issues with milk production. I was one of those women that could, you know, pump two six ounce bottles in five minutes. So volume wasn't the issue. Clearly what was in there, something was lacking. And it was really, really hard for me to figure this out because I would go and I want to know, just like when a patient would come into my office and say, oh, I don't feel good. I'm tired. I'm this. We could run these tests. We could figure it out. I couldn't figure it out. I went to a very dark place. I was like, why can't I figure this out? Why is this so hard? Why doesn't anybody know this? And so this is how it all came about of like, why don't we know more about this? Like, why is breast milk this big mysterious entity that we're just supposed to assume is just perfect for all of our children? The day I gave my child two ounces of formula, she was happy, less fussy, pooped. So there was clearly test case scenario here, something missing. You said two things about the anecdote of your own child that really jumped out at me is because we so often encounter moms who are like, my breast milk isn't working. And we, of course, want to support and encourage moms. And I know you're going to get to the part where you explain the benefits of breast milk and that not all moms have these issues. But when you tell me 
you had growth faltering, your child falling off the growth curve and no bowel movement for 12 days. Like those are huge red nutritional flags. Most parents will come in and be like, I feel like my baby's not getting enough. And then we weigh them when we do all the anthropometrics and we're like, no, your baby's perfectly fine. Not like it's all in your head, mom, but like the data is showing us that your baby is tracking the way they're supposed to on the growth curve. And if they're having regular bowel movement, every couple of days even would be normal, but 12 days certainly is not. So your situation, if you don't mind just reiterating, that's not typical, correct? It's not typical. About 15% of term babies are failure to thrive. And for whatever reason, you know, and it's not about like, first of all, what a horrible diagnosis, right? The term failure to thrive. We don't even use the term failure to thrive actually in nutrition anymore. We refer to it as growth faltering because there's such a negative connotation. It is, you have not failed. You are faltering. Well, right. I mean, my daughter's nine now. So our diagnosis was pretty clear back then. It was failure to thrive. And, you know, that just leads back to what is the factor here? It's me, my diet. That's it. It's not like she had, you know, this is when she was, you know, less than a month old. So it's not like she's getting any other food or whatever. But didn't you worry like she had some, I would think like some underlying metabolic condition. Like, why are you not utilizing this perfect nutrition that I'm making? Because we've all been told that breast milk is perfect. And I think that's where your story comes in, right? Because it's not all breast milk is created the same. Is that a safe assumption? Yes. And I think there's variability between moms. That same mom, you know, it can vary. I mean, what we eat affects our milk, period. And it's like my mission in life now is to take the guesswork out of this and stop the assumptions and stop assuming that it's just, we're not here to say like, oh my gosh, every child needs formula breastfeeding. We're not, I'm not going to be on any side of this. Both of my children would have died if formula did not exist. I have quadruplets and I sucked at breastfeeding. I struggled so bad with my oldest who was a singleton. I pumped exclusively. She had terrible nerve damage at birth. She couldn't transfer. She would latch perfectly and not transfer. I'd be like, what the heck is happening? Like every lactation consultant is like, you're doing a great job, except you'd wear before and after a feed and there was 0.0 milliliters of transfer. Like it was terrible. And if it weren't for a breast pump, she would have died. And then I had quadruplets and I was like, I'm not even going to try. Like, I'm going to pump like crazy, but like, I'm not going to try to concurrently nurse four kids at once. And then I had twins after that and I tried and I sucked at tandem breastfeeding. So like, if it weren't for the breast pump, I feel like my kids would have died. And I always had to supplement with formula and that you have, parents have this feeling of shame about formula, but I was like, thank God for it. Like it saved my kid's life. Right. And like, I really wanted to exclusively breastfeed and my kids did have a good amount of only breast milk, but clearly needed something else. And what I didn't want another mom to go through was that feeling of shame and guilt and just overall frustration and failure of like, what am I not doing? What am I not eating? What am I not? Why is this not working for me? And I want to bring data-driven answers here, right? So the same way that when we see patients and we can say, oh, well, your B12 level is this, you need to eat more of this or take a supplement, whatever it may be. I want to bring that same data and information to breastfeeding moms so that there's no more guessing. So Dr. Canale, can you talk to us a little bit about the field of breast milk testing? Because I have to be honest, when another dietitian wrote to me, who's a mom who listens and was like, hey, you need to interview this founder of Lactation Lab who is all about breast milk testing. And I kind of like rolled my eyes and I was like, what? Like, and then I saw you're a medical doctor and was like, well, hold up. Maybe there's some legitimacy to this. And then looked more into it. But like, to be honest, my first instinct was like, hey, I've always been taught breast is best. Nobody wants to denigrate breast milk. That even like when you study, for example, I teach nutrition throughout the life cycle. And whenever we're teaching about undernutrition and malnutrition, the party line is even if mom is malnourished or undernourished, the quality of her breast milk does not suffer. The quantity might, at which point it would be insufficient for the baby, but the quality is always perfect. 
Is that not true is what you're saying? It's absolutely not true. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. If you've been thinking about giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's a convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online experience. All you do is just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can also switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. I used to think therapy was just for people who have experienced major trauma, but therapy can help you be at your best no matter what you're going through. So whether it's to learn new positive coping skills, set more realistic boundaries, or just show up as a better version of yourself, BetterHelp is here to help. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can help you get there and BetterHelp can help you. Visit betterhelp.com slash weaning today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash weaning and get 10% off your first month. You cannot take a mom living in a developing country who's unbelievably poor and malnourished. I think that this goes to a bigger women's health issue here right now, where women, you know, it's, there are a group of people who believe that it's innately stressful to say what I just said. I'm glad you said it. To be honest, if I said that on my own without a lactation background, like people come after you. I think we all acknowledge that for a neurotypical baby and a healthy mom, breastfeeding is wonderful and breast milk is great, but there are certainly situations. And thankfully there's experts like yourself to be like, listen, that's not always the case. And if this is happening to you, like it happened to you, you can do something about it. That's exactly it. I mean, it's more about, it's not just about empowerment. It's about data and information and making the best decisions. And, you know, for a lot of moms, it's just tweaking their diet. You know, do they really need the hundreds of dollars of supplements a month? No, a lot of times it's just different foods they need to eat. And that can actually make up for whatever is potentially lacking. And sometimes there's nothing lacking, right? So it's just figuring out what it is. But the reality is the differences vary significantly from mother to mother. There are so many other benefits of breast milk, right? You've got all these immune cells, stem cells, so many other benefits, including like skin to skin contact and psychological and social emotional. But what we're getting down to is just basic nutrition. A baby is eating the same thing every day. There's no varied diet, right? For ideally for the first six months of life. That's what the recommendations say. For the first six months of life, it's mostly breast milk. That's what it should be. So this idea that it's magical and it's just perfect. And even if a mom is malnourished, well, her body's going to figure out a way to just get extra calcium and get that extra B12 source. I mean, it just doesn't even make sense physiologically. But secondly, like what it does is it, it really sends the message then that, okay, so what do you, you then tell them? You're just like, not trying hard enough. Is you're not trying hard is. enough. Exactly. You failed. Your baby just needs more. So I had an example of a mom who had her second child, 35 weeker, was in the NICU for a very short period of time. It was her second child. She had no issues breastfeeding with the first. Daughter thrived. Singleton. Second singleton born, 35 weeks, pumping, I mean, just a ton of milk, huge stash, donated milk. And the baby actually, you know, when you come in for well child visits, you check weight, height, and head circumference. So the head was just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And again, you're not testing the baby for anything. You're not doing a blood test on the baby. You're doing a well check, right? It's like... Exactly. So we noticed the head was getting a little bit bigger. It turns out that they went to craniofacial. They saw all these specialists. Iron deficiency anemia was the cause. 
So yes, every breastfeeding mom should be giving their child an iron supplement and vitamin D supplement, but most, a lot don't because it causes an upset stomach. It causes gas and fussiness. And this mom did, she did when she remembered. But the reality is, is that we picked this up at six months of age, which you don't even routinely test for until a year of age. So what is the message you want to tell that mom then that, oh, she wasn't depleted enough. She saw her OB at six weeks. She had her blood test. What else is she supposed to do? Did the baby have encephalopathy related to iron deficiency? From iron deficiency anemia, the head was growing actually quite big. Yeah. So we corrected the iron deficiency anemia and the head stopped the growth velocity. And then but the mom was already supplementing. So how do you correct it? We supplemented with a much higher dose and much more frequently than what was recommended. And I just want to stress here to everyone listening, like the key there, it's okay to supplement if there's underlying diagnosed micronutrient deficiency, but we just don't go willy nilly spraying the baby with a bunch of supplements because we think they're not doing well. Like this is all under the care of a medical doctor. Well, I also want to stress too, that a lot of moms just go and take a lot of supplements. One thing that we've done on the side too, is we've tested for heavy metals in breast milk because we've had a lot of requests for that. And we've had a lot of cases of arsenic and lead in milk and the underlying source are supplements. Interesting. It's not environmental, it's supplements. Yeah. And I think that's important to know. Parents think because they can buy something over the counter in the United States of America that there's all these quality controls. And there's absolutely not. Like you have to prove that the product is unsafe in order to have the supplement removed from the shelf. You do not have to prove that it even does what it says it does. And there's certainly, you know, you're the one, a private company going and testing. This is not being done, you know, before that product goes to the market for many types of brands or certainly big brands that have more scrupulous practices and more thorough controls. But I think parents are oftentimes really surprised to hear that supplements aren't as amazing as they once thought they are, and that they could actually even be dangerous, as you've indicated. Can we talk about the technology? So what sort of technology existed or did you have to develop if you're a mom, you, yourself, Dr. Canale, and you're like, well, I'm breastfeeding and my kid's eating a lot, and yet there's something going wrong because they're not thriving. Where did you go first to discover that it might have been in the breast milk or did you have to go invent the technology? We invented the technology because I knew it was the breast milk because it was just one of those things. It was definitely an intake. That's all the baby's getting, right? Yeah, it's like the control. Exactly. All my daughter was getting. The moment I introduced formula, all of the issues subsided. So it was really, I wanted to know what was in my milk. Why couldn't I get a nutrition label for my milk like I had on the side of formula? So Chromatocrit is something that a lot of hospitals still use nowadays. It was developed in 1978. It's basically like taking a capillary tube, which is like the inner tube of a ballpoint pen, filling it with breast milk. So you can imagine just a couple drops of milk, spinning it down. You can imagine how accurate this is. 1978 technology. And then measuring the fatty layer from the watery layer using a ruler to guess how many calories are in it. We needed to step it up. And that's really why we've been doing this over a couple of years. So our lab is actually on campus at UCLA. We're at the Nanosystems Institute, where we actually use state-of-the-art multi-million dollar equipment to develop methods that are, you know, to be able to test for this. And back to the supplement issue that the testing is expensive. That's why other companies don't necessarily... It's not required either. Why would you potentially point out the heavy metals in your supplement capsules if you don't have to? So we developed our own methods of which we have patents pending on of how to test and measure these analytes in milk. Okay. What's an analyte? Sorry, like vitamins, minerals. Milk is a complex fluid, you know, a lot of sugars in there, a lot of fat, and the fat is quite variable from mother to mother. So really figuring out how we can extract and then test these samples consistently and develop our, our reference ranges. So our reference ranges of what is normal, what's out of normal. 
is basically from the literature. We pulled every published study of data, no, you know, women in Kenya, from women to Canada, all over, and looking at what were published values of, let's say, B12, vitamin C, vitamin A, calcium, iron, things that a mom's diet will affect her milk. And this is all based on literature. This is so fascinating because you know, from a nutrition standpoint, so much of the quote unquote nutrition messaging around breast milk is subjective. It's perfect for a baby. You trust your body, you will make enough. And yet, you know, for milk, kind milk, like if we can talk about that, it makes sense that the composition of the milk changes throughout the feed, but to what degree? Like, so you really can study that, right? Like the milk at the beginning of the feed versus the milk at the end and having more fat at the end because fat is a more satiating nutrient is internally telling the baby to slow down and stop eating because they're about to get full because there's more fat at the end. Is that true or not? High milk, four milk and high milk, it's just a timing issue. Exactly. It's the same milk. It's coming out of the same duct. Like, exactly. I don't get it. But the first milk that looks more watery and less fatty by appearance actually contains more free fatty acids and amino acids, which is essential. You know, it doesn't make sense biologically why a mom would produce a four milk. You would imagine that the first milk that comes out is the most important. And it kind of is because it's the free fatty acids, it's stem cells, it's life. It's all good. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we just published another paper that basically said, look, any milk a mom can give is great because the bacteria in human milk, we did mRNA studies. It's just amazing what's in there. I mean, when I first saw the data, I was like, okay, this got cross-contaminated with God knows what in a lab, but we tested over and over. And it's amazing. I mean, there's listeria, salmonella, pseudomonas, this crazy amounts of bacteria, which are protective and beneficial for baby. So if a mom pumps one ounce and the baby gets one ounce of milk in a 24-hour period, great. They need that. That's fantastic. What I'm trying to say is like, if you need something else to really just support the overall growth and development of your child, that's fine. And let's stop shaming people who need that and instead support them to make those decisions, whether it be based on their own intake, their diet, what they need to do, or if they want to go straight, whatever it may be. Like what I'm saying is let's bring data to validate these decisions. The other, I think, old wives tale that gets passed around a lot, and I want to ask your opinion, I'm calling it an old wives tale, is that mom's hydration status has no effect on breast milk composition. That cannot be true. If you are not taking in enough fluid and breast milk is a high water content food, of course would affect the composition of the breast milk. Like I personally hate water and I was like, yes, I don't have to drink a lot of water and it's still pump perfect breast milk. That can't be true. It's ridiculous to think that. Breast milk is made up of at least 75% water and hydration is number one. It is so critically important to milk production. But we're also learning is that, and this is our original study that we had done, was we looked at moms in their third trimester and with mRNA and gene expression, we're like, wait a second, can we start predicting who's going to have issues with milk supply? They do this in cows, right? Because they start breeding out the ones that don't work very well. So I'm like, wait a second, could this overlap to humans? Some of our gene, you know, genes get expressed, whatever hormone under hormonal control. And could we start predicting the overproducers and underproducers? Because that message then says, it's not you. You're genetically programmed to do ABC. Now, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, what would happen? We'd sit in a group together. We'd be raising all of our babies together. There'd be one mom who'd produce a ton of milk. Guess what? She'd feed the other babies that needed a little bit more. It doesn't work like that nowadays, right? And especially with COVID, everyone's even more isolated now. 
we tried to do, and we did find it, our sample size wasn't big enough for this study to show that the data is there, but there is some information to show, wait a second, there's a genetic predisposition to milk production. So again, every mom is different. Every person is different, but beyond and on top of that, you've got a genetic code, let's say, that at the time of delivery is driven by hormonal changes to determine who may have issues. And that message I want to get get across to moms is it's not your fault. It's not try harder. It's not drink more water. It's not go buy the $200 supplement. It's not drink this milkshake and everything's going to magically improve. It's not necessarily going to work. And you know what? Like, Let's stop pretending because that that mom... Yes, please. Let's stop pretending that buying a fancy cookie is going to make you produce more milk. I mean, honestly, I see so many parents falling victim to... It's the same exact kind of marketing scams as a lot of the supplements. You know, there's a little bit of data to show that a few supplements might help a very small percentage of the moms, but don't feel bad if it's not you. Understand the underlying data, which is what I love about your message. Could you tell us a little bit about the process? So Lactation Lab, the private company side that you are the founder of, what do you do and what services do you offer to moms? What does the process or the procedure look like? So right now what we have is um, our kits where a mom buys a kit, collects her milk at home. We have her pump throughout a 24-hour period. So collect a little bit of milk from each sample. And that's been in the published data, collect over 24 hours, freeze it, send it into our lab, and she gets an analysis. Now, what we are getting ready to launch, which I'm super excited about, is our macronutrient test strip, which will be done in the comfort of a mom's home. So when you're thinking, when you go to the doctor and you're told, oh, your kid's not gaining enough weight, go supplement with this formula. Now you have data. Now you can go home, test your milk. It takes five minutes on a test strip. It's read through our app and you'll know exactly how many calories, how much total fat, how much total protein and carbohydrate are in your sample. So you can make those decisions again. So trying to, and again, this is a tough one, trying to eliminate the guilt that mom will feel from supplementing when her milk is, let's say is 13 calories per ounce, but then also helping her healthcare team when her milk is 26 calories per ounce and she's told to supplement, wait a second, maybe you don't need to supplement. Maybe there is something going on with the baby. You're taking the guesswork out of it because the range of calories per mil of breast milk is so vast and wide, it doesn't always work out that it works perfectly for every baby. It's like how we supplement breast milk for premature babies, how we supplement formula. Sometimes even neurotypical babies will need that because mom's variability is going to be a wide range, right? The key here is hydration and also stress. I mean, I can't imagine like yes. even with quadruplets, I can't imagine how you're, you know, thinking of... You know what? Can I just ask you one thing? This would really sucked. When I was pumping for my quads, I made exactly half. So I made enough breast milk always to half the bottle was breast milk and half it was formula. And if the one baby was sick, then they got a whole breast milk bottle and the other one got a whole formula. And I was always like, well, at least when I have twins, I know I can make enough milk for twins. And then when I had twins, you know what? I didn't make enough milk for twins, but it was probably because I had freaking four 18-month-olds on top of newborn twins and a one and a half year old, like so super stressed. Like maybe that's why I didn't make enough milk, right? I'm kind of surprised you made any milk at this point, just hearing that story. Well, I needed an excuse to go pump. I literally called pumping like my vacation. I would be like, I need to go pump. And my brother-in-law was like, you're the only person I know who goes to pump like every hour. I was like, dude, I have this many kids. Like I got to get out of here. So I was like my lifeline. And to this day, my kids are older now. They're seven, five, and three. And my brother-in-law is like, where are you going? I was like, I'm going to go pump. He's like, okay, I'll watch the kids. And he's like, wait a minute, you're not doing that stuff anymore. I was like, I know, I just need a break. It's like built into my DNA. Well, I love that. I love that. But again, like the pressure to do so is so high, right? I mean, let's just, again, 
you know, help moms make the decision because I can't imagine, you know, more, I'm talking singletons. My experience is with two singletons and I failed miserably. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So tell me what your company is working on now. Like, it sounds like you have a lot of exciting projects in the pipeline. You guys are doing a lot of research, but you're also offering consumer-based products, which I think is so cool because consumers are interested in this, right? Like if I can swab the inside of my mouth and figure out my genetic history, that's cool. If I can send you a sample of my breast milk and see what's really in there, that's really cool. Like what other avenues are you guys working on to kind of open this up to the public if we don't, you know, work at UCLA or know how to work in a lab or interpret all this like high-level published data? Well, the other thing that we've launched is an at-home mastitis test strip. And again, the guesswork, trying to take the guesswork out of if a mom has mastitis or engorgement, because what would normally happen hurts and it's painful and it's red and all this stuff, which could just be engorgement. But what happens? A mom calls her doctor. I've been on the receiving end of those calls. It's 2 a.m., right? You're like, a mom thinks she has mastitis. What are you going to say? No, wait a couple out. You know what I mean? The standard of care really is that a mom gets antibiotics. And the antibiotics are typically anywhere from seven to 14 days. And we know that that affects the baby. Now, don't get me wrong. There are cases where a mother needs antibiotics because it is a true infection. But again, we want to take the guessing out of that inflammatory phase here where it's not. So we developed a test strip that actually measures an enzyme in milk called LDH, which is all over our bodies and it's first sign of infection. And basically we, a mom can then track it over time to see like, are you going in that direction where things are getting a little bit worse? You know, again, emptying the breast, making sure you have a good latch, all of this stuff. And really then kind of knowing when you need to kind of make that decision and when the antibiotic. So we just don't want to see antibiotic overuse with moms. Certainly. And I think the more kids you breastfeed and the longer you do it, if you have mastitis and it's recurrent, you know exactly when it's coming on. But the first time it happens to you, If you don't know what to expect or you don't know what to anticipate, and that's the thing that makes you stop breastfeeding, if that were preventable with a test at home because you could have gotten the treatment earlier and you would have been able to continue breastfeeding, like that's a huge development for the world of breastfeeding and breastfeeding retention. You know, I find it interesting, you know, that 50% of moms stop breastfeeding. And this is, again, reported in literature, not something I'm making up. 50% of moms stop because they think their milk isn't good enough. I read that study. We cite it all the time. And we're usually teaching moms, like, you should trust in your body and your body's ability. And I know that you're working with the ends of the bell curve where maybe that's not the case. But I think that's so scary because I think that just speaks to, like, we don't even believe in our own bodies. But sometimes your body doesn't work the way it's supposed to. And I want the test and the objective data to know. I don't just want to guess. It's the same way that, like, someone wears glasses, you know, or someone needs fertility treatments. It's not their fault, right, that their eyes don't work perfectly. And that's really what I want to bring to, you know, this particular women's health issue is that breastfeeding is not necessarily somebody's fault if it doesn't work out. For some, it's a choice. Great. All the power to you. But just like some people need glasses because their eyes aren't perfect, some people need help because their breasts aren't perfect, if that makes sense. You know, and I just... I feel like there's a lot of crossover between our respective areas of expertise. Like there is so much judgment in breastfeeding. There is so much judgment in baby-led weaning. And a lot of it's like, Let's look at the underlying data. Let's acknowledge that what works for one person doesn't work for all people. 
Let's acknowledge that there's not one right way to do everything, but the importance of having the data-driven evidence to develop these technologies and these products and these modalities is so important. So what I'm interested in is like, if I'm a mom, I come to your services, I'm going to get my breast milk tested, we get the results. What is, I don't say like a, a normal result, but if my breast milk came back slightly abnormal, what is the next intervention step? What are you then doing for me? And who's giving the nutrition advice? I would argue that all of it is sort of normal. And that's the point I'm trying to make is that normal is not this sliver that we've been taught that is perfectly, you know, magical and the same for everybody. It's all going to be normal. Some moms will have very low caloric value of their milk. Some moms will have ridiculously high where we're like, this is insane. But the bottom line is that a lot of times it's just dietary recommendations. So we have a panel of dietitians and doctors we have one functional medicine doctor, three MDs who I've known forever. We all have traditional training, but basically we all kind of had our own journey to the same place where it was like, wait a second, you know, in medical school, we didn't have all of this education about diet and nutrition. And now we're sort of like, wait, this does matter. This does matter. This does make a difference. And so, and I think it's also frustration that we see a lot of moms just go down these rabbit holes and they're taking this supplement, that supplement, the cookie, the shake, the bar, the what. And again, some of them are fine and, and it's not harmful, but some can actually be more harmful. And a lot of it is just making different food choices and that's all they need. So I would say 90% of the moms who test their milk with us, they just get dietary recommendations. And when you say dietary recommendations, are we talking about food or are you providing like a supplement recipe? Okay. Because my concern was like, no, this entire world, like, honestly, if it's run by someone who's not a scrupulous medical practitioner like yourself, all this is, is a huge ploy to sell supplements. And I think I'm not telling you how to do your job, but like staying laser focused on the food and helping parents use food to fix problems instead of expensive, questionable supplements is so key. That's why I'm so excited to hear that you have dietitians giving real food advice instead of VCs who are like, this is an awesome way to sell more supplements. Well, dietary advice for me is food. Like I said, I spoke to, to Congress. That's how strongly I feel about supplements. What's not in supplements, the lack of regulation. I mean, they're concerned about lead and baby food. I'm concerned about lead and the supplements. Yeah, because lead and baby food has been around, yeah, for a very, very long. There's been a known issue for decades that they've done nothing about. The supplements issue, I agree, especially because of the concentration, is certainly more concerning because there's less regulation. Like in food, it's supposed to be regulated. There's zero regulation in supplements. Like you're super screwed. <laughs> Well, we actually worked with a private company and one of our investors actually did a, it's interesting, they tested over 240 brands of over-the-counter prenatal and postnatal supplements. And uh, over 243 brands, four were clean. When I say clean, I mean, no pesticides, mercury, lead, arsenic, plastics, you name it. Dr. Canali, where can our audience go to learn more about breast milk testing and the work that you and your company are doing? They can visit our website at lactationlab.com. And we also sell our test kits on Amazon. Thank you so much for joining us. This is a fascinating conversation. I'd love to have you back to talk more about toxicity in baby foods as well. I would love that. That would be great. Thank you for having me. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Dr. Stephanie Canali. She's the founder of Lactation Lab. I'm going to put a link to a number of the different research studies that she was talking about in the interview. That'll go on the show notes for this episode, which you can find at blwpodcast.com forward slash 188. I hope it came across in the interview, but I can't tell you how refreshing the conversation and interview with Dr. Canali was. I feel like so much of the breastfeeding world is just repeating statements 
that maybe aren't always evidence-based. And so I really appreciate the research that her team is doing and acknowledging the individual differences that may exist in everyone's breast milk and that hopefully your breast milk works for your baby. But if it doesn't, maybe there are some simple dietary tweaks that you can make. So again, she's online at Lactation Lab, on social at Lactation Lab. All of her resources will be linked up on the show notes, blwpodcast.com forward slash 188. If you guys get your breast milk tested and you find out anything interesting, I'd love to hear more. It's one of those things that I'm like, I'm done having babies. But at the end of the interview, I was like, God, I wish I was breastfeeding because I would love to get my breast milk tested and see what it says about us. So thank you again to Dr. Canale for this fabulous interview. Thank you to you guys for listening and I'll see you next time. Bye now. Bye now. 